0: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts.
1: So it's finally that time of year. The holidays are here. We're thinking about Christmas shopping, what you're going to get your significant other. Girls, let me tell you what your guy needs. Manscaped, okay? It's exactly what it sounds like. And guys, trust me, you need this too. If you want to buy yourself your own Christmas present because you're single, go ahead and do it. I mean, who knows? Maybe after you use it, you won't be single anymore. Manscaped has precision engineered tools for your downstairs region. It's time to gear up and get yourself the gift of shaving this holiday season. And I'm talking about the Manscaped Perfect Package 2.0, okay? Let's not make this awkward, okay? Nobody likes a hairy region down there. That's why this revolutionary company, Manscaped, has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Lawnmower 2.0 has advanced skin safe technology, so. This trimmer will not nick your nuts, I promise you. It's also waterproof, so you could use it in the shower. How efficient is that? And for you ladies, if you want a stocking stuffer, it for your guys, it already comes neatly packaged, so it's perfect for uh, say Santa to give to your man. The Perfect Package 2.0 also includes the crop preserver, an anti-shaving ball deodorant and moisturizer. Think about it. You put deodorant in your armpits. We all stink. Why aren't you taking care of the smelliest part of your body, your balls? And for all you athletes out there, the Crop Reviver is going to keep you from sweating, smelling, and stinking in the locker room. And these products smell good. Their manly scent is attractive and will set the mood this holiday season. I actually don't know, but, you know, why not? Give it a try. The perfect package will also come with a pair of Manscaped boxer briefs that keep your junk feeling fresh all day. Tis the season, guys, to manscape yourself for your dad, your brother, your best friend, your boyfriend, whatever. Let's just take care of the jingle balls down there. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BIGHEADS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using code BIGHEADS. Clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year.
0: When you're in an olympic sport you know like swimming was at the time you really are just gunning for four years in advance so it's really extreme so you know i i miss it by four one hundredths of a second you can't even really see that in, in the naked eye can't see the difference And those guys got to go to the olympics and, and get medals and i was at home and that was the end of my career that was my last race and that's a reality that's really hard but i think You know, character comes from difficult times. Does
1: anyone else feel like everybody around is sick right now? I can barely, like, get through five sentences without coughing. So let's make this quick. And as always, gotta thank our friends at QuickTrack. You guys, if you have not gone and downloaded the QuickTrack app yet on your phone, what are you doing with your life? Whether you own your own business, you're a freelancer, or maybe you need to just get things done around the house, I'm sorry. I'm so sick. I can't even do this. But maybe I need somebody to come take care of me. And, you know, I want to make sure they get paid. I'm going to use QuickTrack for my caretaker. Using QuickTrack takes all the guesswork out of contracts. You could create and sign a contract in less than 60 seconds. It's that easy. Or get paid, whichever side of the contract you're on. Download the QuickTrack app today from the App Store, QuickTrack, Q-U-I-K-T-R-A-C-T, QuickTrack well i'm so excited for thanksgiving coming up but mostly i'm thankful this week for my guest seth pepper he's an awesome awesome guy he his, his story so unique he's an inspiration for us all um he's one of those guys that was an almost olympian and an alternate for the olympic swimming team back in the day yeah you know he was one of those guys who peaked in between two olympic games he describes his life as a real life mental experiment. He chose swimming at the late age of 14 and then becomes a national champion, a two time national champion, and one of the best swimmers in the world at his time. He was swimming stroke for stroke with the Olympic gold medalist and used his mind to do it all. So, we're gonna get some brain power from this guy. Today, he is an amazing mental coach. So if you want to get a free initial call with him, I'm going to have all of that info in the notes. But before I give it all away, let's talk to one of the fastest swimmers to ever jump at the pool, Seth Pepper. Well, hey, Seth, so great to have you on the podcast. You're obviously such a well-accomplished guy um, in so many lines of work. So welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. It's good to be
1: here. Totally. Um, We've so much to talk about, so much to cover, and a lot in common. Um, first, I can't believe that you grew up in Oregon. That's so crazy.
0: Yeah, I was born in Cottage of Oregon, which is not too far from, you know, U of O, where yeah. you
1: were.
0: Yeah, in Eugene. So, yeah, that's where that's I so started. That's
1: so crazy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's so nuts. Um, You know, it's funny because, obviously, you're a very accomplished swimmer, and I know that you started swimming at... A later age than most people who get into it as a competitive sport. Um, But I read something funny where it was like, as a 15-year-old, you were losing to eight-year-olds. And then all of a sudden, I want to understand what happened because you're one of the most accomplished swimmers. You're in the Arizona Hall of Fame. Um, You know, obviously something happened there where you just shot up to an incredible line of talent. So um, walk me through kind of your journey of swimming and fill in that gap for us.
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, Well, it's it's a good uh, story for anyone that believes in the power of the mind. So the simple version is that I use the power of the mind to become a national champion. Now, if you go back to the very beginning, I was just trying to, when I was a little kid, I used to cry myself to sleep when the Olympics would end. And it was way before I should have known what the Olympics were. So I had some sort of connection. And so when I got right around, you know, in the teenage years, like you mentioned, um, all of a sudden I realized that door is closing and I got to choose something. And so I started watching the Olympics and I really, it was a process of elimination. So I really just went through the list and I said, which one of these sports would be accessible in Oregon? So it really was like this deliberate creation. It's pretty wild when I even, you know, every time I say it, I was like, this is a very bizarre story.
1: Totally. So
0: just go with me on this.
1: Okay. Well, and in Oregon, that's kind of a weird sport to pick. I'm just gonna be honest, swimming (laughs) in a rainy state.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's all indoors up in Oregon. So yeah, yeah, so um, I I was watching the Olympics, I became obsessed, you know, everything that I do is about passion. And so I'm very deliberate, I'm very upfront about what my intentions are. So I just started watching the Olympics and I remember they were interviewing Mary T. Maher, who is Madam Madame Butterfly. She was like the great Olympian of that time. And so the announcer asked that question, I always call it the sky is parting, you know, moment for me where she, she's, uh, the announcer asked if there's a kid out there that wants to do what you just did, what would you suggest? And again, I remember saying whatever she says, that is it. I'm doing that. Yes. And so she said, I started at a YMCA. And so I ran to the yellow pages and I got, you know, found out when the next workout was. And I went down there and I walked right up to the head coach and I said, I want to go to the Olympics. Can you help me? And it was just, it was just very blunt. And so he laughed because I really didn't know how to swim. I had no prior experience to it at all. You know, really, if he threw me in the pool, I could probably save myself. That was about it. So he was laughing, but he, he let me come back. And so, yeah, eventually my best friend on the team, his brother was eight. So he's about half my height. And he used to beat up on me every day. So you can imagine how that feels as a, as a teenager. and so I just at the same time my dad was always into these self-help books and so he handed me this book it was about the power of the mind and it was about memory but they had like just a few pages on what the east germans were doing and it was this caught they did this analysis where they had test groups of shooting baskets you know basketball players they had one group that all they did was visualize one group all they did was physical exercise and then they had a mix in the middle and you know as you might expect is that the physical only they scored the worst by far and then the mixed group scored the best but what really hooked me was that the group that all they did was visualize they were only slightly below the middle group i said that's all you have to do is you 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 visualize you use the power of your mind and then you you know you dig deeper and you find out you know all the one. War- the amazing attributes to training the mind and so yeah i just started doing it from day one and so all i was trying to do was compress time i call it compressing time and i was trying to get from point a to point b because i'd started the sport so late and so in four years i needed to be in a position to be able to get a scholarship that was my my first goal you know to, to get through that hurdle And um, so by the time I was a senior, I was a state champion. Wow. But I still remember the first meet I went to and I I didn't finish the race. I only went halfway. I I was drinking half the pool. So, yeah, that's how it all started. Very humble beginnings. And I was also raised by parents that weren't athletes. So I was kind of a freak in my family. So I had to get myself to workouts. I had to pay for my sport. I mean, it was a total buy-in for me. But back to the the power of the mind. Um, I continued on. I went to the University of Arizona, um, and I came on a partial scholarship with a great incentive program. <laughs> you know, basically you have to do something quick, or you're not going to be able to afford school. And so by the time I was a sophomore, um, I was racing Anthony Nesty, who was the Olympic gold medalist, and I was beating him a majority of the race until the last couple strokes, and then he he outtouched me, and so. I was second in the nation by the time I was a sophomore, and then my, the following year I was second, and then by the time I was a senior, I was a two-time national champion, and I'd gone the fastest split ever recorded at that time. So yeah, that was a, that was a major, you know, turning point for me. It was, it was very calming to, but, but when you're going through the process of using your mind to create something, you're there thousands and thousands of times, so. I knew that reality, and it was just a matter of what I used to call making it official for everybody around me. Because I knew it. I knew it inside and out. And so, what makes this even more interesting is that my brother started even later than I did. So, he started, yeah, he started when he was about 17, and totally different personality. You know, I'm the scientific type, my brother's the social type. And so, it really wasn't about how hard we were training or necessarily how we approached the, the sport. But what I did, he's still in Oregon and I'm down in Arizona. And so I started doing what I do now, which is mental coach him. And so we went through all of the process that I go through now and, you know, got him to a point where the coaches would look at him. They said, go to a junior college. He did that. And then he came to the university of Arizona and then um, his senior year in the fastest heat ever, assembled. There was Martin in an outside lane. He dove in and he won the race from the start to the, to the finish. And he, we were the first brothers. He, he's a national champion. We are the first brothers in the sport to be national champions in the same event.
1: Wow. That's unbelievable.
0: Yeah. yeah. And the only connection is the mind. It's the power of the mind. So I used to do little things with him because he was, you know, I was a lab rat. He was a lab rat. And so I used to do things that, you know, taking the pedestal out of like greatness is is kind of what I called it. So I'd have him go stand next to an Olympian. I'd sneak him down on the pool deck and he'd be surrounded by all these superstars. Then I'd say, go stand next to so-and-so. It was, really? Yeah, just stand next to him and make them a real person because eventually you're going to be competing against them. And so it's just trying to take point A, point B and bring it together, you know, so that you're you're bringing together two realities.
1: Mm-hmm. That kind of goes back to this whole idea that most athletes know and a lot of fans understand nowadays that sports is mostly mental. I mean, the majority of it is in the mind. Do you think that that's what made you such a successful athlete?
0: Well, you know, I, I guess I would be uh, oversimplifying it. If I, you know, there's there's an element to it that I take. When I started reaching out and wanting to do what I had done for my brother and for you know some other close friends, um, I realized like I was jumping in in the middle. So yeah, you can set goals. You you know you can go through all the mental preparation, but if you're not genuinely called to do that that sport then you don't have the drive, the internal fire to make the ultimate sacrifices. And so I think it's really important that people go through the process of kind of, you know, soul searching or whatever you want to call it. I I call it excavating your authenticity. That's that's my catchphrase. And it's basically just people getting in touch with what you really care about. Who are your heroes? You know, so you work through just the basic stuff. So to give an example of that, a real life example that I went through, um, my hero at the time was Pablo Morales. And Pablo had been in Sports Illustrated and, you know, everywhere. He he was kind of the darling of that time. And so I thought he was great. And just like any kid, I took his picture and I cut it out. I cut out the silhouette of Pablo and I put it on the wall. And this is before people knew about vision boards and all this yeah, stuff. And mood like boards, really well and yeah, mood boards. It's I was just, I gotta get there that that it was very simple, just I gotta get there, wherever there is. So I put his picture up, and then I took my picture, and I made sure they were touching on the wall. so he was reaching out, you know to and, and then I was right there. And so you fast forward to when I won the national championship, and guess who handed me my my trophy? It was Pablo Morales.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Wow.
0: So I, you know, I was really, you know, tearful and I told Pablo, I was like, you have no idea what this, this, this is everything. This is the culmination of my vision. So as much as I work with people and I want people to know the power of the mind, I really feel like I I want to be also an advocate for everyone, anyone on, on, you know, like this is powerful stuff that really does come true. I mean, it has to be genuine. That's, that's, the, that's the big component or the ingredient that you got to start with. So so I would say, I to go back to your question, Vic, I would say I had enough talent that I put one unit in, I could get one unit out. I still needed to sacrifice. If you're going to be an elite athlete, you have to pay the pain, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, pay the physical dues. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Training pain, not, not, not injury pain, of course.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, that makes sense. But I guess if an athlete is really young and trying to realize, okay, is, is this worth it for me? Is all the train, the pain and gain um, worth it, like you're saying, um, and, and you have to realize that you have that potential to be an elite athlete, what are those signs to let you know, hey, you can do this? You do have a future in this sport. What do you look for?
0: Well, you know what? I think that, there, that we do have kind of an, an internal compass. So I think that not everyone's destined to be an elite athlete, but I think athletics in general teaches you disciplines. I was so surprised when I was done with my sport, how few people in the general public set goals. So there's a ton of things to gain on. Yeah. As level. an elite
1: athlete, you're wired differently.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was to the point, you know, so, we were top four in the nation, D1 program, we had the best of the best on our team. And out of that squad, there was maybe two or three that were just like wired like I was, where we were willing to die for that moment. I mean, literally like just lay down our life for that moment. But there were a number of like really, really good athletes on the team. And so I always encourage people, you know, I think it's important at a young age to play a lot of multi-sports, you know, so try a lot of different, I think, Right now we have a trend of specialization, which, you know, I really couldn't have done. I mean, I, I did gymnastics when I was young. I, I did um, pole vaulting. I tried pole vaulting for a couple of years in high school. Um, you know, and you just gotta try things and, and feel what fits. But I, I, for my, my purposes and in, in my life experience, it was a calling. It was definitely something was deep inside me that needed to, to keep going.
1: And you mentioned keep going and this uh, realization when you got out of swimming that, hey, not everyone looks like me, acts like me in the real world. I always say the real world because that's kind of what it feels like. Uh, But what was that transition like for you when you left swimming and called it quits?
0: Well, you know, to be honest, that was really difficult. When I walked into a room, I was introduced as Seth the swimmer you know? And, and so anyone that has that large persona from a past, almost called it a past life for a while. It's, it's difficult. You, you have to go through. You I feel mean, like a party
1: I, you died.
0: Exactly. Yes. Yes. And to be honest. I mean, that's really what it was like. And then after that, I call it my forest gump years. You know, I grew my hair down to the small, of my back. I had a big beard. I gave away everything I owned. I was like, I'm just going to strip away all the stuff that I know and I'm going to see what shows up. So what started it though, again, it was like practical too because I started having panic attacks and now a lot of people are coming out and you know, sharing. Which yeah. A
1: lot of awesome. athletes.
0: Oh, it's so incredible that, that these people aren't uh, afraid to, you know, admit, you know, cause they're losing market value, potentially a professional athlete to say, I'm dealing with mental health issues. So it's, it's very, very courageous what they're doing, and, it, and it's wonderful. And so, yeah, I, I dealt with some, some mental health issues for years, but I went to the UCLA. I was in L.A. at the time, and I went to UCLA. They had a program there, and it was just like that movie, What About Bob?, where you take baby steps. It was that, and it was going through your fears and, you know, like, slowly walking up to him, It had nothing to do with, you know, taking any prescription drugs or anything like that. It was all about repeat exposure. So luckily for me, I'd already worked with my mind for peak performance. And so this component was just another skill set that I had to de- develop, which was, you know, you just face your fears. I mean, a majority of our life is about facing fears, right?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, 100%. It is fascinating, though, that you did so much work with your mind for such a long time, yet you were still a victim to panic attacks, to mental health issues. And I think that that just reminds us that it affects everybody. I've dealt with mental health issues my whole life. Most people didn't realize um, and it's almost like it doesn't matter how much you try to stay positive or something you You really have to learn the tools to deal with that, especially if you've been an athlete your whole life and you're told, you know fast, hard finish, go, go, go all the time.
0: yeah, exactly. and And you have these tools, but you can use them against you. So you can use them for construction and deconstruction. so there was ta- there were times when I was using them against me, and, and so you really have to what I came to terms was with uh, was that um, that really, I was trying to make life into a sport. So I was trying to keep it on the playing field. And so I felt like I could control life. And that's when life spins out of control. Is it, you know, so panic attacks happen when you won't let go of control. That's it, it's a control issue. And so I'd learned extreme control in my sport where all I gotta do is just keep focusing, focusing. You know, my sport was hundreds of a second. And so if I so much just flinched, I was out of the race. So I was used to extreme control. But then when I turned that towards regular life, uh, it doesn't, life doesn't work like that. And it, and it tells you pretty quickly, <laughs> you can't control mm-hmm.
1: me. Mm-hmm. Was there a moment that you realized that in your post-swimming life?
0: Well, I would just, I still remember the first panic attack.
1: Okay. When was that?
0: I was in a drive through line, you know, in, in LA on Sunset Strip, they have this drive through where you go underneath this building. So it's kind of a tunnel. And I remember being in that tunnel and a car was behind me and a car was in front of me and then it was dark. And then all of a sudden the, you know, everything just started closing in on me. I started hyperventilating, you know, most people that have panic attacks, at least the first few times, they don't know the difference between that or a heart attack. And then they go to the emergency room have ambulances deliver them and and even the doctors that are there aren't really sure if this is a panic attack or if it, that's how powerful the mind is. The mind can control so much of our life. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um so was this when you were still swimming?
0: No, I was done. I was done and I was really trying to find out, you know, what was next, what I was trying I was just trying to figure out life and so I was really thinking, well, if I could find the next goal, if I could find the next thing, you know, then everything would be fine. Exactly. I was I was approaching life like a sport. And, you know, I wish it would have worked out like that, but you know, it takes a while. You need time, you need space. And luckily, you know, my parents, they're wonderful people, and they allowed me the space to explore. So that those are my forest gump years. was when I I was able to just kind of strip away and so I was just looking for like basic truths in life and what what this all means and and I I kind of just did a lot of meditating a lot of you know mindful sort of things that now really served me well because you know that it's just a really good rhythm to have in your day to have some quiet time and you know Mm
1: -hmm. so yeah yeah Well, I think I mean, I think you're doing pretty well, especially since your your name is right behind you. So, I mean, I would I would say you're doing great after swimming. Um, But tell me when you realized, okay it's time to retire, because I know you're saying you had your first panic attack after swimming was done. Um, But when did you know that you were done with swimming?
0: Well, the harsh reality of an Olympic sport, I mean, I was one of the first professional swimmers, but that meant making a few thousand dollars. I mean, it right. wasn't, you know, the sport Yeah. Can didn't you tell power. us a
1: little bit about your journey in the sport after you graduated from Arizona?
0: Yeah, yeah. So Pablo Morales, my hero, came out of retirement and he took the spot on the Olympic team. I was the next guy after okay. Pablo. I was like, thank okay. you. Okay. So you had qualified
1: in trials and everything.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was the next person. I guess you could call it an alternate for the Olympic yeah. team. And so he went on. He was, you know, the darling of that Olympics. And, you know, he had a wonderful Olympic story. So I would have liked to have been there with him, but um, it didn't work out like that. And so then I recommitted, you know, and, and I think at the time I wanted to re- you know, I, I wanted to reinvent myself. So I took on a different stroke. I changed strokes.
1: Is that normal for most swimmers nowadays, like professional swimmers? I don't know if
0: I'd say that because a lot of times you're pretty set in your ways. My focus, you know, the I had one stroke that the bat, the butterfly, that came natural. My brother and I were really good at butterfly naturally, and then I I wanted to get really good at freestyle, so I focus on freestyle, and so eventually you know i i raised i rose to the top of the world i was uh fourth at one time and but you know i was the fourth fastest american so when you're in you know the the pond that has the big fish you know i could have been from any other country and i would have you know gone into the olympics and not only gone but you know had a, a medal. hope so yeah so so i got a lot of really great things that happened in my life you know I, i'm very close with my coach he became the olympic coach you know he became the head of usa swimming so i have like the family version you know without the really glamorous sort of version and so yeah
1: okay did you download the quick track app yet Okay, if you haven't, go do it right now. I am telling you, QuickTrack has been a lifesaver for me and my business. It keeps me so organized. I'm a total slob. So it has been so life-changing for me just to get digitally clean on my on my phone and be able to create and sign a contract all on my mobile device. I don't have to go through other apps to sign a contract. None of that busy work. I don't have to Venmo other people. You could pay others and get paid all within the QuickTrack app. So hit pause right now on the podcast. I'll give you a few seconds. Go download the free QuickTrack app today. QuickTrack, Q-U-I-K-T-R-A-C-T, QuickTrack. Now back to the show. But I think that there are so many elite professional athletes that have a similar story to yours where they were so good and, you know, were either world champions or national champions. But a lot of people don't know their names, don't know their yeah. stories because they don't have a medal. They're not in, you know, they're not in the Olympic record books. Um You know, so I think about that and that just hurts my heart because sometimes it's like the people that do it the best, the people that work the hardest aren't getting the credit for all that they've done for their sport. Um, Was there a moment for you where you just realized, holy cow, I didn't make the Olympics. I should have made the Olympics. Why? Why, God? Why? Why?
0: Oh, there were a lot of whys.
1: Okay. <laughs> so, what, how did you cope?
0: Uh, it was difficult, but you, you know, you go in with that. That's, that's, those are the cards you're playing, you know, the, that's the game is the gamble. When you're in an Olympic sport, you know, like swimming was at the time, you really are just gunning for four years in advance. So, it's really extreme. So, you know, I I missed it by four one-hundredths of a second. You can't even really see that in, in the naked eye. Can't see the difference. And those guys got to go to the Olympics and and get medals. And I was at home, and that was the end of my career. That was my last race. And that's a reality that's really hard. But I think, you know, character comes from difficult times. And so, you know, I. You know uh, that Frank Bush became this like one of the the greats of of swimming, and he was a no name, and I was a no name. I was his first swimmer that he ever recruited. We I just was looking for someone that reminded me of my dad. Right,
1: because you were at the beginning of that long run he had at Arizona.
0: Yeah, exactly. I was the first first one that he fully um, recruited, and then we went through this whole huge journey, and then he recently circled back, he was on his way to Rio Olympics. And so he wanted to, you know, come over and, and he spent the day with me and my girls. And it was like, the Olympics was, they were coming to my house. So, you know, I got a little choked up about it because those are the memories that's like, you didn't get the medal, but you have the relationship, you have the bond, you have the moment. And so, you know, a couple of weeks later, he's on the TV screen. And he's giving Michael Phelps his hug after his last, you know, gold medal moment. And so it was this full circle sort of you fit where you fit and that's it. And, you know, just reaching the top of the mountain, you know, your version, you know, you have to celebrate that. And like you said, I mean, I scored more points than anyone in my graduating class in the nation. I was, you know, I did. I, went, I had gold medals from Pan Pacific Games. I had American records from World Championships where we medaled. I mean, I did just about everything you could possibly do in the sport, but the timing, you got to get it just right. So I peaked in between the two Olympics. so that I was one of those guys. And, and so, you know you just accept it and then it becomes part of your character. So now I'm able to impart that kind of experience and in that intensity because, you know, and until you've been to the battlefield, so to speak, then you're willing to risk everything for seconds, like, you know, uh, and, and your life is, your life's blood's invested into this moment, and you're just going to walk away from this moment, whether you made it, you know, or, or you didn't make it. I mean, that's, that's a very extreme, you know, those are extre- extreme environments to, to go through.
1: You brought up Michael Phelps, and I just can't help but think all that he's gone through in between every single Olympic game appearance for him. I mean, and it's something that a lot of Olympians deal with, no matter, you know, winter or summer, um, the whole, you know, two week uh I don't know what stage of fame. I don't know really what you would call it. And then all of a sudden you go into this depression. You're either dealing with drugs and alcohol or or whatever your vice may be. Um, So it's almost I I wouldn't say it's a blessing for some people not to deal with that. But I think it's interesting that so many Olympians don't have the skills to cope with the downfall um, that they deal with that you've kind of developed on your own.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the, you know, the dark night of the soul, whatever you want to call it, you know, you really have to, you know, that's, that's where I discovered who I was, I found out like what I was afraid of, you know, I dealt with my fears. And so I came out the other end much stronger, you know, the phoenix rising out of the ashes. And for a long time, I didn't tell my story because I was embarrassed, you know, like I felt like I had lost at life you know and then i started sharing with people around me and they said what you did what they didn't know anything about swimming you know and, and then i was like yeah and then i learned this after my sport and they said you got to start telling this story to people so that they they have hope you know that, that they know that there's at least that they have like awareness and they look for tools and you know just to be able to say keep going and everything's going to be okay i saw this really you know people can look it up but there's an interview between Kevin Love and Michael Phelps and they're in a locker room. It's like, I think he has his locker room talk special and he's talking. And so Kevin Love came out that he was having panic attacks at halftime, world champion, you know, he'd won it all in his professional sport. And then you had Michael Phelps, 23 gold medals. And they were both like, saying they they didn't have any grown-up conversations until they were in their 20s, you know, because you live in a bubble. It's what I call the bubble of success. So everyone kind of leaves you alone. So Michael Phelps was a phenom at the age of 16. So he was this exception, and so he had agents and managers and coaches, and he had this sort of cocoon around him. And so here he was admitting that after he'd done just basically anything you could ever imagine as, as an athlete, Saying he couldn't even look in a mirror, because he, he was disgusted with himself, that's where I think we have to start questioning a little bit and keep things in perspective. This is not going to complete you. You get one gold medal, you get 23 gold medals. This is just the beginning of the journey, you know? And, and, and I, luckily, we have a, a day and age where people are sharing it. You know you're talking about it on your show. you know, Kevin love you know, just from him coming out, the NBA has adopted a whole mental health, you know, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a huge, huge side. I mean, I thought my story was going to be really important for the rise up, but I realized the value was really afterwards. You know, what happens afterwards to be able to say, keep going, you know, don't hurt yourself. I, I have to say that that was part of my deal with myself. I will not physically hurt myself. Now, mentally, I'll, I'll, you know, go through all the paces to find out who I am, and and so yeah, I did the long journey. It was long. It was years.
1: Isn't it amazing though what you can accomplish and? find out when you just start sharing, because I kind of went through the same thing. Like for such a long time, I wasn't sharing my story and everything that I was going through. And then all of a sudden, you know, I started coming out and talking about things and then realizing how many people I could help, how many people had sort of similar stories or things that they'd been through that were similar to me or felt inspired to start talking about their own journey or getting help because I was talking about it.
0: It's incredible. I mean, your your story, your life experience will change people's lives just by sharing it whether it's meeting a stranger at a coffee shop and just sharing a little bit or you know just starting to talk to people around you or doing what you're doing is incredible because you know now there's a recorded version that you can share and then you have like this child that goes out into the world and you know imparts some wisdom on people and you know I think it's a really uh, it's it's we have a lot of challenges you know the the suicide rate is up 25% in the last 10 years i mean that's telling us something that we're disconnected we're we're not having this organic you know experience is wonderful it is to be able to have this power this tool of having this interview you also have to you know have have relationships in your life you have to have confrontation you got to deal with people face to face you know a lot of things that You know, I mean, who knows exactly what the issues are exactly? We're masking a lot of pain in the culture. You know, luckily, we have some leaders like Phelps and and Love and some athletes that are really coming out and sharing and being vulnerable because, like, that's a huge thing on the internet now is vulnerability. Vulnerability, like, why did that become an issue? Well, because we're not being vulnerable. If we're being online and we're sharing things, we're sharing our story, social media is not just about the gloss. It's about what did you go through? Tell us your story, be vulnerable. And it circles back to sports because if you really go into the mind of the elite athlete, as much as people like to put, the human ego likes to put everything in a nice safe little box. And so you see LeBron James, or you see some of these like amazing athletes and you just assume, oh, they got it all together. You know, they've always been that exception. And they don't realize like there is a level of vulnerability in their lifestyle, in their playing every day to succeed. And that's vulnerability. That's not, this feels good. I'm going to conquer it. And, you know, there's no repercussions. It's a a vulnerable state to be in, to be an elite athlete.
1: Vulnerability on an elite pro level for an athlete is one thing, but also when you were talking about. Love and Phelps um, with all that they've accomplished medals and championships um, you know we I mean and when I say we I mean the public and fans look at that and um, a lot of people will say oh I don't feel sorry for you because look at all you have you have these riches you have this fame you have these medals Um, how could you be depressed how could you be dealing with mental health Um, but it's so true that you know that does not define happiness. And also depression is not about happiness. It is literally a mental illness. Um, but what would you say to people that just don't understand the disconnect there?
0: Well, I I, I look at like, uh, let's say Phelps, you know, um, or some of these kids that are coming up being, you know, stars in the youth sports programs. They are learning to identify with winning, not being a human. And so when I work with someone, I, I say, you know, your, your sport is, is something that you do, but you're a person, you're a full human being, and you need to keep those separate because actually they feed off of each other. So if you have self-love and, and you have like a good support system around you and you can be vulnerable, your elite athlete ability goes up. It's all connected. And so when I see some of these stories, I, I just see kind of like a child actor. Like, we hear all the, the time, like, oh, so-and-so, or, you know, and then we go, oh, well, why'd they have so much problem? You know, they had fame, they had money. When someone walks up to you in a restaurant, and they think they know you because of they've seen you on TV, you're an object. They don't want to get to know you as a person. So it's very different relationship, and you can learn to to really hate that, and then you hate you start to hate yourself because this identity you're supposed to love but it's really starting to 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 wear on you so yeah i look at some of these kids coming up and i say well they're they're just like a a child actor they're playing this part and that's all people want is just that part they don't want to get to know them as a real human being but if early on you know i've been fortunate to be alongside of some really great mental coaches and one in particular has worked with Aaron Gordon since he was 11 years old. And it's an incredible relationship to harness the power of the mind in youth sports and to see it go so high. But everything is predicated on this basic understanding. You, basketball is what you do. You are a human being first. This will not define, this winning or losing will not define or change who you are as a human being. And that's been ingrained from the very beginning. So I think that's really important for people to to go through or, or accept.
1: Yeah, and for kids nowadays to understand before they even get to that point.
0: Yeah, because I saw I mean I started late in my sport. So I'm a teenager starting my sports. So I'm a young adult and I
1: used which are hard years in ge- anyway. So
0: <laughs> and I was I would watch my friends coming to the to the competitions. Completely burn out. They had been doing it since they were six and seven. They were only doing it because their parents did it or was part of their social circle now. And they didn't know how to step out of it anymore. And it was just torturous for them. And, or I'd see someone that was super talented and I could see like eventually that's going to make you lazy. So, you know, I had this sort of mindset where I was just kind of dodging and weaving through all these people and people that started. I mean, I remember this kid that I, that was in college that set every single age group record you could imagine and he was just an average you know college swimmer just barely average and so when you see you know these kids blowing up when they're young it doesn't matter until you get to the end i mean it doesn't matter it's all timing and so i'd rather peak you know in the pros or in college you know rather than when you're young. So yeah, I think it's really important that people keep it in perspective. And then also, if I can mention, like the process that I'm curious about is more of a mindful approach to sports. So it's not about winning and losing. So I don't know if people, your viewers uh, or, or listeners have heard about Kobe. He says failure is an illusion. And it sounds kind of like strange for someone that's such a winner to say that but what he's saying this is this is my interpretation is that life continues and so it's it's a mastery of excellence is what i call it and so you're constantly working on who you are as a human from moment to moment and just because a game stops right at this point doesn't mean that your life stops and you're just stuck with that result it feeds into what you do after the game and then it feeds into the next workout and so if people can just completely get immersed and working on their mastery of excellence. And what that in turn does is it puts you in the moment. You know, So it's not about winning or losing, it's getting lost in the moment. And so I think in order to do, I know in order to do this, you have to be passionate. You have to be hooked into the sport because if you can, you have to let go of the winning and losing. So you're letting go of the trophies for the mastery of your sport, if that makes sense.
1: Wow. That's incredible. Um, And I mean, obviously, you share this wisdom with your everyday clients. So, if someone's looking for help just in life in general, what would they be getting from you?
0: Well, first, um, I think a big part is fearless action. You know, it really is, I mean, whether we're aware of it or not, you know, we deal on a daily basis, you know, with fear. And if you're not able to come from a point of clarity, then you're reacting, your your constant day is fight or flight, and you're in a state of reacting. And that's why it's important sometimes to put the phone down, because the phone usually is involved in the past, it's not in your creation. In your creation, you have to dive into what do you care about, what do you wanna see happen in the world, and so in your world. And so I found it's it's kind of, I mean, it's interesting for me, the process of really getting in touch with your passion is a huge, huge foundation for what we're going to build the house on. And from there, you know, there's the reticular activation system, you know, all the technical talk of the filter, you know, your brain has this filtering system. Every moment you go through life, you know, you're getting a filter. Even if we were sitting right next to each other, you're getting one version. I'm getting another version of reality. And so we have confirmation bias also that work together with this RAC, the reticular activation system, the filter system. And if you learn to work with these and reprogram your mind, your mind will notice all this proof that everything's working out because it wants to reaffirm it. So it's a wonderful process. You just have to take control of it.
1: So what's a mental strategy for winning that has stuck with you since your days in the pool and now you share with others?
0: So I didn't have enough time to have a bad season. I realistically did not have that time. And so what I used to do is I would analyze, you know, OK, so I went this this time in this race. And if I had a perfect start and a perfect turn, what was my base speed? And then I would figure out what that time was. And then I would erase a- out of my existence the old time. And then I would hang up this new time everywhere. That would become my new reality, my launching point. And then I would base all of my goals off of this new time. So I'm leveraging, constantly leveraging the power of the mind. And I remember my friend saying, you can't keep doing this. You can't keep t- taking two seconds off. He said, why not? You know, why not? And so it's kind of the X factor. It's something where you're leveraging, you know, the mind. And in, in that experience of bringing point A to point B, mm-hmm. I remember Russell Wilson talking about, he does a lot of the mental stuff. And he said that he would play in stadiums. And I, I did this as a swimmer. Um, In Oregon, this is one of my first stories with my dad, um, there was going to be a swimming meet up in Federal Way in Washington, which is a six hour drive. It was a very long day. And so I just started my sport. My dad's not an athlete, fully just supporting me, though. And he says, you want to do what? I said, Dad, I want to go drive up there and take pictures of this, you know, this empty swimming pool. And he okay, let's go. And we drove. So that's 12 hours of driving just to take a roll of film of an empty swimming pool. Well, I used those images in, in my vision board. I used it in the visualization. I became that reality, that reality surrounded me. And so here I am, you know, nowadays. And I just heard this interview with Russell Wilson. And he's saying, yeah, sometimes I'll play in a stadium. I don't know. And so I'll go online and I'll Google the images of it. And I'll put them all together and I'll create this experience and I'll go, okay, there's where the time clock is. That's where the locker room, what's it going to be around halftime? So he's doing the same thing, you know, Super Bowl guy, doing the same thing as what I was doing when I first started my swimming. So that's how powerful this is. And it's really practical stuff, you know, point A, point B. How do we get there as quick as possible?
1: And we're all able to do that. We just need to know how to tap into our senses. Yeah,
0: once you become aware that it is a tool, you can use it for, for you know, just incredible things in your life. Um, you know, my brother used it. He, he, after swimming, he had this dream of being a host on, um, you know, he wanted to be on the Discovery Channel. And so he used what we had done when we were athletes, and he started visualizing. And of course, I was into, you know, the videos and all that stuff. So I had all the equipment. So we'd go out and shoot his stuff. And then we edit it, put it together. And it took years. You know, nothing's o- overnight. You know, anything's worthwhile. It takes a while. But a few years later, sure enough, the Discovery Channel producer contacted us and said we're interested and, you know, gave him his own show. He had his own show for a season. So you could say that's Hocus Pocus. But I'm speaking from personal experience. My Pablo story of the vision board, you know, just the fact that I was able to rise to the top and become a national champion through the power of my, mo- my mind and then teach my brother and he did the same thing. I mean, it's all there. I mean, I, I have the proof to believe in it. And, you know, if it's magic, it's magic. I'll use the magic, <laughs> whatever it is.
1: Well, thank you, Seth, so much. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention to our listeners?
0: Well, I've seen that you you have some really important people on your podcast. Um, you have mental coaches. Um, you have, you know, the, the original Virginia Slim's uh, tennis.
1: Yeah, Julie Heldman was, was on the podcast. Um, yeah, yeah she's a great
0: inspiration role model. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're just doing a wonderful job. And I would just say, keep, keep listening and i would tell anyone just explore the power of the mind if you're an athlete if you're not an athlete and um just learn to use the tool you know and through awareness the first step is awareness and you know in change and from there the world will find a way to to knock on your door somehow some way
1: what a great episode with Seth today. And if you guys are interested in talking to him more about what he does to help us use the power of our mind and harness it, you could get a free initial call with him on his website, SethPepper.com. All of the information is in the show notes here on the podcast. He's so generous and willing to offer 10% discount to all the listeners out there. Anyone who calls from the after orange slices show uh for any of his training packages use the promo code BridgetCase now to get 10 percent off so awesome thank you seth and i hope you guys are having a wonderful wonderful almost holiday weekend make sure you subscribe like write and review do all those things i ask you to do every week because we need it we need the love we need the support it makes us keep going it makes my day and i can't wait for what's in store next week
0: For all the latest NASCAR content, including driver interviews, race recaps, fantasy NASCAR, listener call-ins, and giveaways, tune in weekly to the Lap Traffic Podcast on iTunes or your favorite
1: hosting site. On the web, thelaptrafficpodcast.com, and on Twitter, at LaptrafficPC. Don't get caught chasing the lucky dog. Tune in each and every week to the Lap Traffic
0: Podcast.